This week, we talk about a variety of topics, many of which ended up having a similar theme, and that is, how do you stay focused on what matters when starting and running a business? Let's get into it. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. So what's up, Rick? I have a unique insight that I learned this week, and <laughs> I just can't wait to share it with you. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm reading two books. Uh, one is Essentialism and one is Indistractable. Have you read either of these? No, I read like two books a year. So uh, you, you'll know it if I read a book. <laughs> yeah, you're like the podcast guy. You listen to every single podcast and I'm the guy who reads the books. Does this mean you have more of an... Att- anyway, sorry. Give, you, give your insight. <laughs> okay. Uh, so there, there, there are a couple of them. First, um, Indistractable... I'm, I'm not fully done with these books, so I, but I want to sh- talk to you about them because they're kind of, they're impacting me right now. And mm-hmm. w- one insight is the difference between traction and distraction. Have you ever heard of this concept? Traction and, I mean, I've not, not, not connected, no. Okay. So traction are the, is where you, you think about this from like a focus standpoint, traction, if you look at your life and you go, where do I have traction? These are the things that are pulling you to good things more specifically, the things that you want out of life. Um, so, uh, you know, if you ask yourself a question like, where do you have traction right now, uh, Tyler, wh- what would you say to that? I don't think, uh, I don't think I know. This is a different definition of traction than I'm used to. You said it's, it's the things that are pulling me towards them in, in my life. Yes. What's going really well in your life that you feel like it's just, you've got momentum going and it's, it's uh, something that is pulling you. Yeah, like product design right now on the business front, on the personal front, just, I don't know, I bought a house. <laughs> cool. And and if I said, you know, what is distracting you from like the traction with design, how many things could you think of right away? Yeah, like a bunch of little things and then a couple big things probably. Yep, yep. So it's an interesting concept because oftentimes when we start working, we go through these, I at least go through these periods of time where I'm super focused and I have so much traction and I'm not getting distracted by it and I'm working on what I want to work on. But then over time, it's sort of the distractions build up and I'm no longer, I'm spending more time on distractions than the things I have traction yeah. with. You know what I'm talking about? And so, go ahead. 100%. And I, th- I think you're getting here, but it's sort of, it's cyclical, right? Which I've, I've never understood why. Like, I think it piles up and then you sort of declare distraction bankruptcy and you're like, fuck all this, get it out of here. And then you go back to good and then you let your guard down and it starts building up again. Is that what happens it to t- you? It's totally, yeah, totally. So this guy, um, near, so I, I'm not even gonna try to say his name. It's, it's, his first name's near. He's written a book called Indistractable. And that is the first book. And it is, he talks about this concept, traction versus distraction. And I just went through this distraction purging event this past weekend. Mm. And I wish, and, and what he talks about is here's why it happens. And I'm not, you know, I don't feel comfortable really speaking a ton to, you know, so, paraphrasing what he's saying, but um, he, he proposes in this book to deliver a, his big value project to this book is here's a system for, uh, per, like regularly purging distractions so that you don't have these big, you know, event, you know, purging, per, like eruptions of distractions. Yeah. So the thing I struggle with, with this, I think is 
as an entrepreneur, so there's two types of distractions. One is I don't need to do this and no one needs to do it. And the other is like, this is less important than the, or I'm less interested in this than the main thing, but someone has to do it. And if you're a solo founder or something like that, it has to be you. In my case, it's like, I could delegate this, but like the culture we have is not, I don't just like assign tasks to people. Like if this isn't your job, it's, it's my job. And so I do feel like, like I'm thinking right now, two or three of these little things came up on my plate this week. I have to reach out to customers to invite them to do a beta test for a new feature. Now, the marketing person is going to send the actual email, but I have to write the copy and figure out what are we going to do to collect their names and then how are we going to reach out to them when the feature's ready. Like, that's one. We have an old feature that we need to kill that's it just costing us $15 a month that we and like three people use it and we're going to kill it. That's another. I, I could keep going. But like, someone does need to do these things. So it's a huge distraction. And also, I don't think I can just like not do it. Does the book say anything about that? The, I haven't gotten there with the indistractable book, but that leads me right into the second book that I'm reading. I, so, so just context, the way I like to read books is I usually, fi- I, I, I find a subject that I'm interested in and I'll pick usually one, two or three books in that subject area that I read at the same time. And I'll usually read anywhere from two to four chapters of each book and then switch to the other books. The second book is Essentialism. And uh, the the way I would paraphrase Essentialism is... Uh, less but better. So if you think about like you're expending some amount of energy in a given time period, let's just say a week, um, the number of different directions that you are expending that energy reduces the effectiveness of the, of each expenditure um, Uh in, in any direction. So think of it like a circle and you've got these little lines pointing out from every part of the circle versus if you took that down to two or three or even, you know, just one, thing and apply the same energy, you've got a big line just pushing yeah. forth, showing the progress that you're making. Um, so that, that's where he starts, This the, the author there starts talking about um, the idea of choices versus choosing. And this might give you something to think about here. You have a lot of options of how, you, how to spend your time. Um, but when you start thinking about what's most important right now, and you force yourself to choose between, you know, a, limiting yourself to choosing to do one thing, um, usually, uh, the, the things that you think you have to do don't, you don't really have to do because you're actually choosing to do them in the first place. Um, so he highlights the difference between choices, which are options. You have an option of sending out this email or canceling this feature, but choosing to actually work on it may not actually be necessary. I think that is good advice. Generally, I I don't think that applies to, to either of mine. So let's workshop it for a second here. I gave two examples. One is this beta test feature. Like, we have to release the feature. Or I shouldn't say we have to. That is the top priority. The thing is, someone else built it. Um, I would much rather get that feature shipped than whatever else I'm working on. And like, just I'm playing this little role in the beta testing part of it. Um, So I think that's, I'm choosing to work on it deliberately, right? Like, I mean, that's fine. Could you say, is there a way for you to say, hey, I don't really want to do this if I don't have to and allow someone in the company to volunteer for it? Yeah, I mean, originally, I like I was in a meeting earlier today with the developer who built it and I was like, can you send these emails out? And, stuff? and then I was like, this is even more of a distraction for him. Like, I'd rather him get the feature shipped a week earlier and I'll handle the beta test. Um, so you will. There are a lot of little things that need to get done at a company. 
And like, yeah, you can delegate it to someone else, but then you're just pushing the, the same problem off to them, I think. It's interesting because um, you you kind of made the choice of instead of him you know, putting this potential distraction on him, you sort of made the choice to say, I'm going to be distracted, not him. Yeah. And, and literally th- in the meeting, I assigned it to him. And then five minutes later, I was like, okay, never mind. I'll do it. <laughs> because you could see the distraction happening to him. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's kind of different. Maybe... Maybe the the that when you're the the leader, um, distractions flow up. You either have a choice to distract your people or distract yourself, and sometimes you you take on the burden of distraction to protect your team from it. Yeah, and I think it's a style. It's that is a there's different cultures. Like a lot of companies this size might have like an admin assistant or something. And it's if you think about what is the job of an admin assistant, I think it's get distracted. Like all the stuff that would distract everyone else, you take it on so that they don't get distracted. We don't have anyone like that. If you don't, I think at the end of the day, it's the entrepreneur's job to be distracted, kind of. Cool. I think. The other one I had, um, oh, I'm spacing. What was it? Oh, yeah. The other one is an interesting topic because it's like, yeah, it's technical debt. So one of the one of the problems I have with people who are like, focus on one thing. What's the most important thing and only do that? is you're letting everything kind of decay around you. And in the programming world, there's a very well understood term for this, right? Technical debt, which is like, you've got all this old bad code, but the same concept applies for business processes and all this stuff. So just the specifics of this one is, people can log emails in their Less Annoying Serum account by forwarding an email to an address we give them. This address is from 2012. We shipped, we shifted away to a different system for this in 2012. And we have like five customers that are using this old system. But like every month I have to log in and to clear out the inbox. It's like a Gmail inbox. They're literally forwarding it to a Gmail inbox. I have to go in and clear it out and all this. And it's just this burden that I, I have, to, like, I don't have to get rid of it. But if I don't, it, these things build up. So this is an interesting one because it's actually, I don't think this is a distraction. It's actually an investment in removing a, a recurring mm-hmm. distraction. So yeah. that, this is a thing where it's like, you don't know when, it's just a question of when you're going to do it. It's not if you're going to do it. And the benefits, ultimately, this is a, you know, investment in less distraction. Yeah, absolutely. And you could, I guess, still use the framework of saying I'm picking this one thing to work on, but it's really minor. But I guess at any given time, you've got the long-term strategic thing you want to put all your time towards. But if you really are pure about that, you're, you're going to have a lot of problems around you if you don't pay attention to little things, I think. Totally. And I think that's where these systems, and I'm not far enough in either of these books where I've gotten to the, here's the system for ma- maintaining track, like, Mm. Uh, 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 re- minimum res- distractions um, or protecting yourself from distractions. Here's a system for you know making sure that you're always working on the top things, uh, even though you might you know sometimes you think you are and sometimes and you aren't. Um, so I think this that's what the point of these books are is like here are some systems to ensure that you know on the dist- indistractable side you're not getting unnecessarily distracted. Um, and, and then on the essentialism side here, here's a system for making sure you're prioritizing the, as, as, as little as the, the most important, the fewest, most important things. Yeah. That makes sense. And that's very custom to a person. It's not one for everyone. It could be, you know, lots of small things for someone one week, and it could be a one big thing for another person in, a, in the same week. 
Yeah. My main takeaway from this and something you and I have both, I'm sure, learned over and over again, or you have to keep reminding yourself is there's this other thing, which is a distraction that absolutely does not have to be there. And that's the real opportunity is just remove that, which actually segues nicely into the first thing I was going to talk about here, unless you have any other points. on. No, your I books. totally agree with that uh, takeaway. It's like purge, like be aware of the distractions that are building up. And, you know, if you can figure out a way to purge them before it gets like totally, you, you know, you're in just this like awful situation you know, yeah. do it. Go ahead. So I, I probably talked about this exact same thing six months ago. Cause I just keep looping through and relearning the same lesson. And the lesson is like, give yourself time to just go into deep thought about something and go down rabbit holes. And it might feel unproductive, but when you get through to the other side, spending a day or a week thinking about something saves you potentially months of effort on the wrong thing. And I think it ties in nicely with your distraction thing. Because what was happening here, I mentioned last week, I've been trying to figure out permissions, user permissions as like a feature for bigger accounts on Less Annoying CRM. And it was just, I had my mind in knots over this, right? And I can't tell, tell you how many different crazy ideas we went down. We were talking about, what if we totally rebuilt the database from scratch with this entirely different structure? And what if like reporting didn't even work the way it works. And we were talking about changing everything about the product. And it, after enough time and talking to enough people, I came back to the solution that all we need to do is take this one feature we have, Pipelines, and say, if you're on this team, you can see this pipeline. If you're not on this team, you can't. Yeah, That's all we need. That's all we need. <laughs> yeah, but you got there confidently because you allowed yourself to fly up and explore all the possibilities. And if you hadn't allowed yourself to do that, I don't think you would have gotten to that confident choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, every, but when you're in it, when you're like deep in this and you're like, you know, every single idea we have is like a five-year project and it feels like a waste of time. I actually think it was a really good exercise, partially because we got the clarity, but also I think sometimes when you daydream about something so impossibly big, you're never going to build it, it. It really gets creativity flowing. And we, I, we had a lot of interesting ideas that we will pare down into much, much smaller ideas that we can incorporate into our products. So anyway, that's very vague, but like, I feel really good about the outcome of this. The essentialism author talks about this exactly as being the most important first step and understanding what the most important thing to work on is, is mm. allowing yourself to fly and explore every aspect of everything to work on. And it's, it's basically a form of planning, but a very wide view of planning and then you, because you allow yourself to do that, you have much more ability to say, this is important right now. This isn't important right now because you've explored it all. And that's exactly what you did. And as a result, like instead of working, working on a very fixed project from the very beginning, you've narrowed it in on this little thing. And then, yeah, there's a bunch of other stuff that's going to the backlog based on your work. But my guess is that when those, those things will get prioritized when they get prioritized, but you'll probably have to, you'll probably revisit this larger exploration exploration at some time in the future as the customers demand it. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that was really helpful for doing that is I just talked with a lot of different people. Like I talked with you on the podcast last week, and then I had a one-on-one -on -one with my brother, and then I had group brainstorming with three other people at the company. And so Tuesday was my conversation with my brother. Wednesday was group brainstorming. Tuesday, Brack and I were like, we are going to invest years and years into this and we're going to get it right, but we don't even know what that looks like. And by Wednesday, it was like, this is a two-week project. Just talking to people. And it's a hard thing for a solo founder to do. I, I feel so lucky to have so many people to talk to, but if I didn't, I don't. I, I guess you just, what, what do you do? Just talk to like 
me and like other colleagues, like former colleagues and stuff like that? Yeah. So one of the updates I had this week was I'm starting to get multiple signups a day again, mm. um, which is good. But if you listen to the uh, podcast and you've listened to the last couple episodes, there's been this like little bit of fear coming out around, you know, is my marketing engine going to work? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, what I'm realizing and talking to you about this is I've let myself sort of start doing stuff again, but what I really need to do is I need to allow myself some time to just go explore all the different marketing things I could do, um, mm. and talk to people like you. And I actually just had, I just came from a lunch with a friend who's also a business owner and I did it a little bit. I let myself do it a little bit with him, but it creates this like confidence that I'm working on the right thing. Even if it doesn't change anything that I'm actually doing, I do what I'm doing with more confidence because I, yeah, I was like, Oh yeah, I explored that. I know now that this is the right thing to do. Um, but I am, I'm not letting myself do that enough with my marketing planning. And I think that like, that's one takeaway I have from this conversation is I actually need to go talk. I need to go think about what my marketing opportunities are. Lead, let's just call it lead generation opportunities are, and I need to just let myself like not act on them, but think about them and talk to like bounce ideas with some people, including you maybe next week on the podcast. Yeah. Yep. Giving yourself time to think and talking with people. Huge. Um, cool. I've got a question for you. Oh, so I don't know if anybody listening reads Rick's newsletter, but he has a newsletter. He sent, you send you send it out every Sunday. Is that right? Yep. And you said in it that it, it was about this week, embracing failure and, you talked about a group current, a business that when when we, we started this podcast a year and a half ago, it was kind of your main thing, like your main business at the time. But when we started the podcast, you were saying like, Leg Up Ventures, your company is a portfolio of different things, and you're going to have a lot of different things going on. And when we talk now, like, yes, we do this podcast and you do your newsletter, but those aren't really businesses, I wouldn't think. You have one business, you have Leg Up Health. Um. I guess I'm just curious, like how you feel having simplified, like gotten, gotten down to this focus of just one thing. Are you like feeling really good about that? Or do you still think like the portfolio approach makes sense? It's so funny. I mean, this is a perfect time to have the conversation because it's so related to what we've already talked about. And it's, it's exactly the the question I asked myself this past weekend as I was writing the newsletter. So if you haven't seen my newsletter, I do a, I usually have a theme for the week and I write an article maybe related to it. I take some notes on something related to it. Um, the, 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 I did a massive reflection this past weekend on the question, what, where do I have traction? Uh, and then where am I allowing distractions? And this was before I found this guy's book. So I like, kind of come to this like moment of this is something real. This guy just spent his whole like five years writing a book about it, which is going to totally blow my mind when I get through it. But the, the, um, the three areas I have traction are very clear to me now. Like I have traction with start to last. I have you know, and this is in business, not talking about family life or right, personal right. health stuff. Like business traction is in start to last. It's in my newsletter, and it's in leg up health. Like three things, and that is getting cl- getting just clear on that. Like forget whether I'm like just. I realized that, and then I realized like all the other things I'm still doing, even though that's where I've been. Fo- I haven't looked up, thought about group current for five months. Like, have you heard me mention that? Like, no, (laughs) but like, I still was thinking about removing on, like I need to, I was thinking about like, I need to reflect on that and move on from it. Um, I had that on my to do's every week. Um, I, I I'm doing all kinds of things that 
I, I of things on a regular basis that I was doing because it helped me with group current that doesn't need to be done anymore. So I feel great is the answer. Um, but I'm just, I'm still not quite, I still haven't quite adjusted to the reality of if those are the three things I'm working on right now. And you know, 90% of my time is going towards leg up health. My day to day doesn't yet reflect that, even though that's been the case for, um, I don't know, several months. Yeah. So, okay. So you feel good about that you have focus, or at least that if you put a little more effort in to get distractions off your plate, you'll, you'll have more focus. I'm, I'm curious, this is a bit of a non sequitur, but like, would you rather have one business doing $20,000 a month or like five businesses doing 4,000 a month each? Because when you started, you you kind of presented it like you had a portfolio and you wanted to run these in perpetuity side by side, which uh, I'm just curious if that still sounds like an appealing thing to you or not. Yeah. And I would say that uh, to, to start something, that's what I wanted to do because I didn't know what was going to stick. And I, I, I thought like, hey, if I, if I get three, two or three or four things going, um, something's going to stick. And I'm not like going through this experience like I had with People Keep, where it was like, it was all I did. And then it went to zero. Like I got, I, I stopped working there and it's like, this is, it, it's gone. I didn't want mm-hmm. to have that situation happen with the early investments I was doing. I said, I would say now that I've got stable things happening, I, I, I really don't want multiple businesses, but I do want diversity of what I'm working on. So I would say this comes back to like the higher level question of what do I want out of life? Um, and there are two things as it relates to the work space that I really want. Um, one is, it's really freedom to it's, it's freedom. It's, it's why I'm building start like a startup to last company. It's the ability to make choices, um, without, with, with as little restriction as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's what drives leg up health for sure. But there's also this component of learning that it like just allowing myself to invest continually getting better at, being a good person. I don't, I don't know how else to say it other than good yeah. person, but the best person I can be. And I think that's where a lot of startup to last comes from and like where my energy for startup to last and the newsletter comes from. And so I kind of look at them as two different buckets, but I like, I, I think that they're, they're both, they're all three work related. They're all in the work bucket, but they're also comp and they're in different categories, but they're complementary too. So there's not like when I go work on startup to last, I'm, totally like turning off my leg up health brain and refocusing. It's all kind of part. Yeah. Of it. I mean, I don't even see startup to last as being like in the, it's not like you have three things going on and one startup to last and one leg up health. It's like you have leg up health going on and startup to last is like a weird hop one hour a week you spend talking about leg up health basically. But I, I hear you though. Like as long as you're still flexing your mental muscles and learning things, you prefer the focus of one thing. Yeah. And newsletter is no small time commitment. Like I, you know, it's, it's significantly larger than the start to last commitment. Yeah. Um, and depending on the subject matter, like it could be a big, big project for a week, but I get yeah. so much return on that from a personal growth standpoint that it's like, I, I, I would protecting that investment while I work on leg up health is very, very important to me. But to answer your question, no, I would prefer to focus on one entity um, that, that, you know, but I, yeah, I kind of, you know, my other update this week is I just, I have another entity called Leg Up Benefits now. <laughs> I, I think that's the same as Leg okay. Up Health, though. That's not a separate, like, 
corporation, right? Yeah, yeah well, it, it will it's be a it'll separate be a, brand. It'll be a separate LLC, but from it all, Leg Up Ventures why, is my business. Why will it be a separate LLC? For two reasons: one, um, to silo regulatory risk. Um, Leg Up benefits won't be uh, involved with insurance sales at all, and so I don't want it to be a, the business done at Leg Up benefits to be affected by any insurance regulators. Um, okay. So, and real quick, just context here for anyone who's like new to this. Leg Up Health, you sell insurance to individual consumers. Leg Up Benefits, you help a business get insurance for their employees. Both businesses will always be 100% owned by Leg Up Ventures, which I own 100%. So really the business that I'm focused on is Leg Up Ventures. Um, and the two, you know, the, the business is helping consumers and who, you know, their employers you know, maximize the employee's benefits. If you think hmm. about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So regulatory risk is, th th that's fascinating to me that you're, to me, these feel like one, one company. Um, they are like, one like company. a, okay. But, they, but you're just for, for compliant or for legal liability reasons, you're going to have two separate, uh, corporations or whatever. Correct. Yep. Okay, cool. Uh, we've been all over the place. You had, do you have more to that update that with leg up benefits. Excuse me, I didn't mean to cough. Um, the how dare you? Yeah, I know. I should have muted the mic. It's kind of rude. <laughs> this is amateur hour over here. Rick. <laughs> I feel like I just coughed in someone's ear. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I guess related to my newsletter, I, I did spend some time reflecting about group current, and I think it's worth diving for maybe a minute or two into what yeah. I reflected about because you don't hear a lot of people talk about businesses they start but don't really like. They weren't a total failure, but they weren't necessarily a success um, in terms of what you originally imagined it to be. Yeah, and all the good postmortems are that are about failures are like this was a colossal failure and it completely crashed and burned. Yep, yep. Um, so, so Group Current was one of the these like one year companies. Uh, I've started it with a co founder. We had big aspirations. Um, we we made money. We made sixty thousand dollars on a, a five thousand dollar investment. Um, so like from a, if you, if you do like a return on, you know, monetary investment, it was a great success, but in terms of, you know, return on time, uh, we, I probably spent 20 hours per week on average on the business and my partner probably spent more. So probably a pretty low, like a failure in terms of return on yeah. time. Like maybe not quite minimum wage or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but, but, you know, I, I forced myself to reflect, and I originally, when I when I thought I was going to write this article, I thought I was going to talk about all the things I learned and did wrong. And I, when I was writing it, I was like, "Wow! Like, look at all the things that flowed from my time at Group Current. I feel much more connected with the parks." So, Group Current was a community management company. We were planning to build software to for communities to use to manage. We didn't get that far. We ended up. All of our revenue came from one client that we basically took on and took over called Pando Labs, um, which is a, a community in Park City for entrepreneurs. But through that, you know, through our work with that, you know, one, I developed an awesome relationship with my co-founder. And I learned that like when you're honest with someone and you have trust, you can actually fail together and it not be bloody. Like mm -hmm. we had a we split, we split the you know, cash five, you know, that we had built up 50-50. We closed the business. You know, he actually is going to run with. He's he, Panda Labs is one of his clients at his new business. So he's going to keep going with that. I, he's happy. I'm happy. I call. He can call me. I can call him. That you can actually fail with someone and it not ruin a relationship. 
can I pause for a second and say, I think um, if everyone in the world just took a second and asked themselves a question, how many people do I know that I would feel really confident starting a business with? That number is probably a pretty good indication of like how things have gone up till that point in their professional lives. Like that's, su- and the number is not like 50 for anybody, right? It's like one or two or maybe five probably is about as high as it would go for anyone. Getting one person on that list is huge, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the other thing is whether it works out, whether you are a match as co-founders or not, when you go through something like building, trying to build a company with someone for a year, you get to know that person. Like it's like getting haze. Like it's like self hazing for a year. You you literally build a bond, and getting out of I you know getting out of that relationship without severing that bond is really really hard. We succeeded at that, and uh, yeah, so I basically awesome. have like a co founder type relationship that I don't actually have to do business with, which is amazing. Um, the, the other thing I would share is that you meet so what you don't, when you fail at a company, um, you don't realize all the relationships you build along the way with team members, with, uh, customers, with all the people you talk to trying to grow the business. And in this case, because our client was Panda Labs, which is Park City's entrepreneurial community, I got to meet every, pretty much every major Park City angel, uh, you know, angel investor in Park City. I got to meet most of the entrepreneurs in Park City that are active. I did. I, I met a lot of really interesting people who, who knows, like they could be friends. They, you know, they could be future business partners, or you know, they could be clients of Leg Up Health. And so, there's an asset there that was gone in that is very much useful. And then uh, the the major thing for me for Group Current. This is where I got to and how I concluded my reflection. When I started Group Current, I was broken. Like I. You know, if you go back to the early episodes, I was highly reflective on who I want, who who am I, um, who do I want to be, am I a good person? Um, you know, what did I was really beating myself up on? Like, what did I need to learn from my experience at People Keep and Zane Benefits, which is where I spent my entire career prior to Group Current, and I did not have I had what what I would what I've talked about in the past of low conviction, high curiosity. And after leaving a situation where I had, you know, egotistical conviction, like way too high <laughs> conviction. And so I, you know, group current for a year working on that stuff allowed me to confront some of the things that I did not handle well in my previous company and increase my conviction around what I want to do as a, as a person and as an entrepreneur. And it led me to like a health, like it helped me get to where I am now. And so from that perspective, it really, it, it really just... It's a perfect example of how something that fails oftentimes cyclically returns success without you really realizing it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I've seen a couple posts on Indie Hackers this week of people basically being like, I quit. Like they they had a really bad, you know, they tried to build a business and it didn't work and it was hard and they quit. And I, thankfully, I've never been through that myself, but I imagine it's hard, but so much like, so much better than not doing it, right? Like if the alternative was go work at whatever random company during that time instead, like maybe you'd have more money. There, there are other benefits to the stability of working somewhere, but uh, it's hard to imagine failing at starting a company being less valuable than not trying. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Well, 
I'm, I'm glad you had some time to do that reflection. And it sounds like uh, it's, it's always good when the worst professional failure is still a good thing, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You've lived a charmed life, Rick. Yeah, the, that was <laughs> my, I. I guess that really was my worst professional failure is group current. Like, yeah. I mean, so far. So far, yep. Yeah. <laughs> we, let's let's both try to beat it, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Um, so two other things related to my updates for the week. Um, uh, on a marketing basis, I just want to share with you, I I um, officially sent my first Stripe invoice to nice. my first Logout Benefits customer. It's $120 a month. Um, but hey, it's recurring revenue for uh, a product. So I'm happy. Um, and so, uh, you use Stripe billing for this, so it's going to automatically bill them every month without you having to like integrate anything into code or anything, right? Yes. That's all. I, I love that that exists now that did not used to exist. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, and cool. then I'm, I'm, the way I'm building leg up benefits is around a Google spreadsheet. So I'm actually have managing everything, their employee roster through a, go- a shared Google spreadsheet. And we're going to build the app around um, around Stripe and Google Sheets as the core sort of a um, MVP. Very cool. You, do you still have interest from other kind of enterprise type clients like that? You're still working on that? Yep. I've got um, the Indiana company I don't think is going to move forward, which is, uh, I talk about distraction. I let myself get totally distracted by this Indiana company. Got licensed in Indiana for Leg of Health. Got appointed with every insurance company. So if you're in Indiana listening to this, um, I can serve you in addition to Utah and Legup Health, um, but I don't think they're going to move forward. And then I've got five or so other ones that are maybes, but I am not really putting a lot of energy into the employer um, yeah. marketing right now. So with the Indiana company, like, why did you get licensed and stuff rather than waiting? Was this just like you made a mistake or if you go- went back in time with the information you had then, is that was that the best thing you could have done? It probably wasn't. I probably should have push them more towards a, Hey, if I'm going to help you with this, we need to make a decision by this date so that I can do this when you decide to move forward. But instead I was like, I let them sort of take their time with the decision. And then because they took their time, I, I, in order for me to be able to serve them at that point, I had to go ahead and do the things without them making a decision. And so, because, because once like you get to this point, you're not going to be able to get contracted with insurance companies for, but after open enrollment starts, you have to do that all before mm. November 1st. And their decision timetable is more like this month versus October. I should have like put a condition of like, you have to decide whether to move forward you know, yeah. by, in, in early October so that I can get contracted. But you know, I think I probably just, uh, I learned a lot. Like, did I learn something? Yeah. I learned how hard it is to get contracted and appointed in another <laughs> state. And I'm appreciative for my focus on Utah right now. Yeah. So it, it means maybe you could get distracted with saying, when are we going to go into other states? And now, now you won't. But mm-hmm. I think this is a hard lesson that everyone has to learn multiple times where, you know, it used to be when a big client came up to us and was like, we're, we're going to sign up, but we do need this one thing. And we'd be like, well, it's only a week of work. Let's just like, they're looking 90%. Let's just build it. And now we do not do that. And, you know, I don't know, a month or two ago, I told you there are these two really big clients that are like, thousand-ish users. Like they would be way, way bigger than any customer we've ever had. They're still both looking very promising, but it just always takes longer than you think. And uh, you know, if if this were in the early days, we would have already built all the stuff they wanted. And now we're like, until you give us money, we are not doing anything for you. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. So yeah, I my version of that is 
people and like either consumers in other states or employers in other states wanting to work with us. So yeah. I'm probably still going to be willing to do it more exploratory at this phase of the company. That's fair. That's uh, you fair. know, but but uh, I think I I probably won't get licensed again until someone's paying or like willing to be a client. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be the full amount, right? If if they gave you a hundred dollars, that's more of a commitment than zero, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and and that's that's the other thing with like at benefits. I think that is an opportunity is, uh, hey, like you don't have to make a decision. Let's let's just get you set up as a consultant client. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just be your advisor for a few hundred dollars a month and until you make a decision and, or you, you know, decide not to move for, forward and we'll stop it. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. And then the other marketing thing I did this week. So the reason like up benefits is a marketing thing is that customer is going to add five more employees. So they currently have five, which or six, which is, um, the $120, $20 a month. So they're going to add five more employees, um, which are five leads for like up health for open enrollment. And then also we'll increase that 120 to uh what what is that one like two hundred dollars per month. So that's awesome. I love that you can monetize it two different ways. Yeah. And then the other thing I did this week was I did a TV interview for Leg Up Health. Very cool. What, yeah. what what TV network or show or whatever. It was, it's a very popular one. It's it's uh, Park City Television. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so what 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 did that look like? How did did you reach out to them? Did they reach out to you? Um, I reached out to them uh, and just said, hey, if you when open enrollment comes, let me know if you want me to do a segment. And we scheduled that uh, for this week. And it was a six to seven minute segment. It was really awkward because it was a Zoom call. And yeah. it was, the live broadcast was happening. And everything was delayed by five seconds. So I would see her talking and then the audio would come through. And then because the the what was showing was the live broadcast when I was talking, I could see uh. myself five seconds delayed. So I kept like <laughs> looking into the camera and talking and then be like kind of looking down, you know, away from the camera because it was so awkward to see myself talking and delayed. But I think it was, I mean, well, it was good practice and that forced me to put together um, some media talking points that can be repurposed for uh, other local media outreach. Are you doing more of that? Was this just like a one-off? I'll reach out to this one network or like now I'm going to do a whole media blitz thing. This goes back to, I need to explore that. I need to go, I need to, this between, please hold me accountable to this. Between this week and next week, I want to have fully explored the marketing plan mm-hmm. for Leg Up Health. And I'd like to be at a place where I'm, you know, talking about it and ready to start narrowing in on some things. But yes, that's one of the things I need to explore. Okay. Cool. That's neat. You're a, you're a TV star. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I'll, uh, if you'd like uh, to see it, I will. Um, probably tweet it at some point when it becomes publicly available. Very nice. Do you ever get these emails from these like scams where they're like, we'll put you on TV, but it's like, it's basically just a paid, you know, 3 a.m. on CNBC or whatever. It's like an infomercial. Yeah, yeah, they have, it's an infomercial and they have some like C tier celebrity. They're like, uh, Terry Bradshaw is going to talk about you on this TV show. Uh, the first time I got one of those emails, I was like, amazing, CNBC, Terry Bradshaw. And then very quickly, you're like, this is a scam. And they're like, yeah, um, w- w- your down payment for this is 20 grand. Right, yeah. <laughs> and they always call it a nominal. F- they're like, it'll be a nominal fee. But, but 20 we'll, grand's but not nominal. We'll ha- but- be happy to get on the phone with you and discuss it. It's like, no, I'm not getting on the phone yeah. call anymore. Ugh. <laughs> I hate some people. Do you have any other updates? Yeah, I feel like we're filling the whole the whole episode with them. Um, 
So a while back, I mentioned that we re we made some changes to our help site. We redid our help site, got the search looking good, and then made it so that within the app, uh, if you clicked help, originally it would be like contact us, and now we're saying search our help site or contact us if you can't find what you're looking for. So just kind of a UI change to how people get help. And there's a lot of noise, but uh, so far it's looking like maybe the number of contact forms we're getting is down by about 25% as a result of this change. And these contact forms are users making a support request. Yes, correct. Wow, Um, that's pretty impactful. Yeah. So now- Does that translate into like a 25% increase in productivity efficiency per rep? um, No, because- Contact forms are not the only thing they do. There's also like incoming phone calls and scheduled demos, but I'd say contact forms is about a third of what they do. Um, I don't think this change, it it probably you would think has impacted incoming calls as well. Um, Michael, who's the head of the team is, we don't have good stats on phone calls the way we do contact forms. So he's trying to get that worked out. So we don't know the numbers on that yet. Probably it will not, like, if you look at total productivity, it's not a 25% improvement, but it's probably 10 or something like that. Um, Across a team of six, uh, I think seven or eight people, you know, having a third of what they do down by 25% is like many hours per week of saved time. So it's pretty neat. That's awesome, man. Um, And you feel like it's a, this is one of those situations where you're, everyone, it's a win, 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 where you're, Mm -hmm. you're, you're winning as the owner, employees are winning because they're getting more efficient. And then also the consumer is winning. Absolutely. I I was too gun shy about this because I was, I was like, you know, good customer service means we're here to help you. But what you've told me a million times, and I should have listened sooner is most people don't want to talk to customer service. Like ju- just because it costs us money and time doesn't mean we're actually providing value to the customer. Um, so it saves us time and I think makes the user experience better because if they want to talk to us, they can, but it's it's just not the default anymore. I'm experiencing this big time during open enrollment with my clients. Like it'd be so much easier for me to force them on a phone call, but they don't want that. They, they want to mm-hmm. be able to schedule the phone call when they're ready to. And when they want to invest the time, but man, like the amount of like the, it takes me time to follow up with them. And I haven't quite cracked that code, but there I'm, I'm totally feeling the, I, by, by, by trying to provide value, I'm actually pr- providing negative value and yeah, um, self-service is going to be so key for the early parts of the health insurance buying experience. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, we all sort of have this like puritanical, if you're not suffering, you're not do, do, like working hard enough or what, like, it's like, you don't have to be like, it's, it's possible that you making your life worse is not helping anybody else around you. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That was, the, that's the other, um, we've talked about this, I think before on the podcast, maybe year like last year, but one of the things that uh, they talk about indistractable or maybe it's essentialism is decision fatigue. Hmm. Are you familiar with this concept? I I think like on a small scale, this is like Steve Jobs only had black turtleneck, so he didn't have to decide what shirt to wear every morning, right? To- totally. And it's like, you know, when you're, when you're like trying to be available and doing everything for, for a bunch of different people, the, at some point you reach a, a declining, you know, utility of the next, you know, interaction mm-hmm. that you have because of the decision fatigue, like how, how hard it is to just do multiple different things. And that's the I mean, think about like t- 
talk about lack of focus. A customer service person may have what a hundred interactions a day. I don't know what the number is, but on very different problems. Um, like if you're going, you know, burn the midnight oil, you know, it's at some point you start providing negative value. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other thing I had, I mentioned notion a while back that we switched to that, um, for our kind of like internal wiki stuff. Uh, I, was planning on keeping all of our old tools available to employees. And then I was in a like group work thing, which is just where a group of people work and talk. But anyway, and a couple of people were just like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm on Notion. I, I don't need Dropbox or Trello or anything anymore. And I was like, oh, should I like close your Dropbox account? Um, so I, anyway, without intending to, almost everyone at the company completely moved off Dropbox, not just Dropbox paper, but also file storage because of Notion. So uh, Dropbox was one of my favorite SaaS products that I'd ever used. And I'm canceling like two thirds of my licenses now. Yeah. I mean, I don't, the only time I use Dropbox is when you send me something on Dropbox. What do you do with file? I love Drive. Their, their file product. Oh, Dropbox is so much better than Drive. I think. You don't think so? I mean, I don't have many documents. No, I like Drive. I do. I really like it. Hmm. I've I tried I I tried to move everything into Drive and uh, I just think their products like qu- clunkier. But I use I use Google Drive for I use Google Docs all the time. But I don't put non Google Docs files in Drive. If yeah, that makes I, sense. I, I just use Drive for that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, I don't have anything interesting to say there. Just that like Notion really went from zero to a hundred very I, very I feel like Dropbox is one of those companies that was like there and then are what are they doing like how do they make money these days because. It seems like so actually until this notion thing, I thought Dropbox was doing a great plan, which is the uh, have you heard the term rundle? No, the recurring revenue bundle. Um, basically, like I think people have revenue or uh, have subscription fatigue to some extent where it's like you don't want every single SaaS products, you know, five dollars here and ten dollars there and all that. And with Dropbox, they have the files. They have paper, which I'm surprised they don't push more. I think Dropbox paper is a phenomenal product that nobody's even heard of. They just added a password manager. If everyone had not been at at my company was not like, we don't need Dropbox at all. I was about to close our 1Password account and switch. It's like, I'll just, if Dropbox can handle four or five or six of the the other subscriptions we would need, that'd be great. Um, But then Notion just took it all over and so much for that. <laughs> but I, I like the idea. I think their strategy is let's bundle together a lot of kind of essential services that businesses need and put it in one subscription, which I like. But who buys it? Like, I, you're the only person I know who still uses Dropbox. That can't be true. I, I don't know anyone else. Like, do, I mean, do you talk about, are you like, do you, let's talk about Google Drive file syncing. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, hey, uh, can you send me a f- share, share document with me? It's like, it either comes via an email as a PDF or it comes via Google drive. Like hmm. I don't, I don't see- know. I, I'm still paying for Google or for Dropbox for personal use too. I, I have two Dropbox accounts. I, I don't know. I love it. I think it's a great product. <laughs> cool. Uh, uh, design yeah. fellowship. Yeah. Okay. So this is my final update this week, which it has to be because we're running out of time. Um, so Less Knowing Serum has this thing called the, the Coding Fellowship that we've done for a while. We had a whole episode on it with Malia. She came on to do it, where we teach people how to code. It has come to my, uh, not attention, but like, I know we need to hire a designer at some point. 
And by designer, I don't I don't really mean like someone who's good at moving pixels around. I mean more like a UX customer interviewer. Like in a perfect world, this person would be a CRM coach for a year and then transition to the design team. Um, so I'm really talking more about a UX product manager type person. I have I, no idea how to interview for that. I have no idea how to hire for that. Um, none of it. And so I just kind of thought maybe I should start getting some exposure to working with design people. And so I'm running a little experiment where I'm talking to a handful of people about possibly running a UI UX design fellowship in probably January or something like that, um, where I'll just teach them what I know about UI UX design because I'm currently the one who handles that at the company. And uh, I don't really know what my goals are other than just let's throw it out into the universe and see what happens. I mean, it, it- it's kind of interesting. I, if I remember from our episode with Malia that she was more interested in design at the end of the day than the actual coding. Is that a handful of people that go through the coding fellowship are? Yeah, like if if they start to learn to code, for some people are just like, I'm never going to get this. It just doesn't work with the way my brain works. And those people normally, it's not necessarily that they love design, but they could do it, you know? I'm just wondering, like, why isn't this maybe just a track in your existing fellowship? Why create a separate fellowship? The big reason is I think the goals are sort of different. Like, the fellowship is very robust and built out. And for example, Malia has a coding curriculum and not a design curriculum. With this, I just want to throw something against the wall and see what happens. So I could very much see it turning into what you're saying. This is much more like experimental and I want to get it going soon. I don't want to wait for next summer. I want to do something before then. It sounds like you've got something that's working and rather than distract Malia with <laughs> something new, you're saying, hey, I want to run an experiment here um, and see what happens. And uh, it's better for you to do that separately. It totally makes sense. Sounds like a good idea. It's interesting you, it's interesting you say that though, because I, I probably haven't thought about this as explicitly as I should. As soon as you involve anyone else, experimentation becomes so much harder and um, I do think I still have a little of that entrepreneurial, you know, attitude, but the company as a whole is, it's a 19 person company. It's not a startup really. This so, was, yeah. this was literally my biggest leadership weakness at people keep was I experienced what it was like growing up in a small company where, you know, running lots of experiments led to all kinds of learnings and iterations that, and rapid improvement. Mm-hmm. And I want, I wanted to develop a, a culture where every team member was doing that. And some team members just don't have it in them to, to do that. It just makes them very uncomfortable. It's not just that. I don't think you want everyone to, because we had this in the early days, we hired that type of person. We hired like the classic Silicon Valley nonsense where you're like every single employee is going to be their own entrepreneur. And it's like someone has to pick up the phones when they ring. And after you do that for a while, it becomes a bit repetitive. And if every single employee wants to be an entrepreneur, they're going to hate that job. So I think it's important to have a lot of employees. I think most employees at a company should not be entrepreneurial, in my opinion. I can't argue with you. I I wish there was a better balance, but yeah, especially in a bootstrap scenario where it's not like um, the time and seat is a a year or two. It's like, this is a 10-year job. Yeah. Um, You know, we're growing slow and... You know, I think in a situation where you're going gangbusters, where it's like, listen, you're going to do this mm-hmm. job for a year, but then you're going, you know, you're going to need to grow with. You're going to run the team next yeah. time, yeah. yeah that's a and then you're going to you're going to run multiple teams, yeah. It, I, exactly. I think that's a very good point. So if 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 less annoying serum were doubling headcount year over year, I would probably be singing a different tune. But we're growing the team, say ten percent 
year over year. Not, uh, yeah, everybody can't be this move fast and break things type attitude. That's awesome. I just, uh, just while you were saying something, um, I got a notification that someone else had signed up for Leg of Health. That's so, awesome. The street Are they signing up, do you think, because of the marketing you're doing or just because open enrollment is really kicking into gear? Uh, this, all of these are in direct response to the marketing I'm doing in the last couple of weeks. They would not be signing up otherwise. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm impressed because last week, I think the title of our episode was like marketing momentum, right? Or at least that was one of the, maybe that wasn't the name of it, but that was one of the topics like momentum. Normally the idea of momentum is you can't get it started quickly, but it seems like you just turned it on, huh? Yeah. It, it, and it's picky, piggybacking on some momentum I built earlier in the year. It's not like I went cold. But it just shows you that there is a direct correlation, like cause and effect of, you know, if I take, if I do marketing activity, it turns into sign up activity. And if I know that if sign, people sign up, they become clients. So it's, you know, I, I, it's there. I just need to, I just need you to just be have more to keep thoughtful. doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we've exhausted my list here. We're at 52 minutes. You got anything? Uh, well, what else do you have? I feel like we should go through our shout outs and rants. Shout outs. All right. Take yeah. it away. Um, well, I got two shout outs. The first is, uh, I just got off the phone before this podcast with a guy named Dan Fellers and I got introduced to him through a fellow member of the member stack community. Member stack is a low code, uh, slash no code user authentication service that I use for leg up health. Um, and one of the challenges that a lot of no coders are experiencing is they're using Airtable as their database. Um, and, and, and as you know, where they store their user data, their you know, and their other types of data for their application. But having stuff run on like running server side, meaning like database scripts, is really difficult because it requires knowing how to code. Um, and so he like I've been trying to find out who could help me build a uh, a script for Airtable to help me take do some things with the data that isn't available via no code. I got introduced to this guy and it turns out this guy is in Utah, like right down the road. And I met him 10 years ago at a kickstart seed fund investor conference. And hmm. he's two years like ahead of like, he is like the top Airtable uh, service provider. He, he built a company called OpenSide and a community to go with it built on air. And he is like the, the leading Airtable uh, like add on for man, like a managed service on top of um, uh, of Airtable, and so it was so cool to just meet him, see him today, and like I, I think like most people aren't aware of him or what what he's doing. But if you're in no code and you have Airtable as your database, you should definitely check out OpenSide and check out some of their um, products uh, and services for uh, making Airtable do more. Cool. So are you what are you like? Just you talking to him? Did, are you going to hire him for something? What's he's he's going to help. Yeah. So my big my big challenge is I need to automate my monthly account emails, which take into account um, uh, uh, multiple po insurance policies a user has, and checking, you know, updating them on where they stand, whether they're deductible, whether the policy is active, that sort of thing. And I need to write scripts to update those um, those. Uh, basically create those emails and send them. And he's, he, that is what he, that's what his firm does. Cool. So very yeah, cool. I'm very happy about this. This is a big, this is a big win in the no code space because it yeah. solves a, a huge limitation. Great. Um, and then ring, I installed a ring. We talked about smart homes the other day. 
or the few episodes ago. Yeah. Um, and I installed a ring and I am amazed at how good the ring instructions were because I had to literally drill into mortar a brick, you know, to, to hang, to hang the ring and why like wire it to the existing doorbell. And they made the, I felt like I was like a legit, like, I don't know what you call it, but like I was very, I was handyman for a day and yeah. And I, they made me feel really good about myself as in my manhood. It's funny you say that because I just this week installed two Ecobees, the thermostats, and same thing. I had to like go into the, you know, therm- the heating thing in the basement and connect some wires together. And it's it's this, uh, you know, the idea that like a product is supposed to make the customer feel like the hero of their story. And it, yeah, that's interesting that we both got that. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I that's I think that's a difficult thing to do, especially for people like us that. We aren't the people who go like, oh, let me pull up the hood of the car and yeah. you know, check the, check the oil, and you know, we or drive. Like, I'll call we drive an Uber. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's cool. I'm still. I hate Ring for uh, privacy reasons, but it seems like a very cool product to have. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's it's I, I like it. So my, I don't even know if this is a rant, but have you seen like the iPhone Mini that they? Uh, launched like apple's got this new tiny little iphone how how big is it so that's the thing it's only it's the same size as the iphone 5 was i think yes i don't get it So it's just it's what a normal phone was you know five years ago but now that's mini so i just want to walk through the history here phones started out a size then they got really big and they stopped making small ones and then they launched as this amazing new innovation that they made one that was the same size it used to be so first of all, that sounds ridiculous to me. I don't know what you think about that. Like, what? I get why people want the small phones. Why it's do ridiculous. they want the small phones? I don't want a small phone. Uh, just easier to keep in your pocket. And like, if you have small hands and stuff like that. Um, I actually, I think the medium ones are fine for me. But what's what's bizarre to me is this, like, they created this the problem that they then a few years later came in to solve. The conspiracy nut in me wants to think, this is an intentional strategy of a company that realizes it's hard to continue innovating year after year on a pretty mature product. And so they're intentionally like setting themselves up for future innovation by eliminating things they currently have. That can't be true, but that's where my mind went. Apple is definitely guilty of that. I mean, look no further than how they handle their cords and their accessories. Mm-hmm. Like, I just got it. My it's my birthday month, and so my my wife Sable bought me a um, new iPhone Max, uh, twelve Pro Max. Um, Ooh, that's well, a hell of a birthday. Well, I gotta put gift. this. In, I gotta put this in context. Guess what iPhone I was on before this? Uh, I don't even want to know. Was it super old? Seven, a seven. Wow. So, so that's major. That's five upgrade. years old, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So things have changed. Things have changed. Um, <laughs> but it's like. It's, you know, this thing comes in a box and it has this new type of cord in it. I have nowhere to plug where the, this charger has nowhere for me to plug it. Like it didn't come with a wall outlet. Are you just talking about USB-C? Is that what you're talking about? I don't know what it is. Like it's got this little like input thing and I don't have anywhere to plug that. Yeah. Rick, everyone's been on USB-C for years. Okay. <laughs> I, I need to look up what USB-C means, but, but anyway, like, it's like a little oval, right? Yeah, it's like a little oval. It looks like the same. It looks about the same as the side that goes into the iPhone. Yeah, yeah, but I don't have anywhere to plug that. 
Yeah, that sucks. I'm not blaming Apple for that one, though. Like, the world is moving towards that. It just, there's a transition. They, they could Like, have, all they, Android phones use that. They could have included a power plug-in that I could plug into so I could plug it into the wall. I don't have any way to charge. Like, I have to use my old chargers to charge this. It didn't come with a charger. Yeah. Yeah, That's getting evil. rid of the chargers is is a, a questionable move on their part. <laughs> anyway, I'm with you. I think, so the speculation I've heard is that they're... Uh, ramping up for getting rid of ports entirely on iPhones in the next year or two, probably. And it's all going to be wireless wireless charging. Yeah. Which drives me. I I don't. I think my Apple Watch. uh, Do you have an Apple Watch? Mm -hmm. My main complaint about it is it takes way too long to charge. And the reason it takes way too long to charge is because it's wireless. If you could just plug it in to a normal, you know, USB-C or whatever, it would charge in like two seconds. Wait, is my you, understanding. Do you have a, a battery issue with your iPhone? Because I charge it every night when I go to bed and it's fine. I was fine with it when that happened, but then they added sleep tracking, which oh. I want to use. So you can't charge it at night. What I want is when I go into the shower, charge the watch, and when I get out, have it charged. My understanding is that'd be a piece of cake if they just had a wired yeah, charger. But anyway, th- that would frustrate me with my phone if it's like, I just need to, you know, it's about to die. I want to top it up. And it's like, okay, it'll take six hours to charge this thing. I have another kind of cool thing to share about sleep tracking. So it's kind of a smart home thing. Okay. I've, I've added, okay. So I've, I've added two or three smartphone, th- smart house things in the last weekend. One is a space. So I, uh, leg up health offices are in the basement, um, sort of first floor as you enter. And it's actually commercial space for the townhome we live in. Um, it gets cold down here in the morning and it's 30 degrees outside and snowing. So I installed a Bluetooth or a Wi-Fi space heater into the wall. <laughs> and so it turns on in the morning and gets it like super toasty in here. So when I come down here at five or six, it's like, you know, it's not winter outside and it yeah. turns off when I go to bed. So I never have to worry about the train on the space heater on or off, which I thought was really cool. And then the second thing, my wife, this is the other birthday present. This is more of a present for her. I like it really cold when I sleep. I don't know about you. Mm-hmm. Sable likes it like 75 degrees hot and I'm just oh. miserable. It's like, gross. <laughs> so, it's so gross. Uh, she doesn't sweat. So, but I'm like, like my, we have to change the sheets once a, you know, twice a week <laughs> if, if we keep it at 75 degrees. Where is this podcast going? <laughs> okay. So the Uller, the Uller, we, the, 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 Sorry, Uller, the Uller is a new thing that we have. And have you heard of the Uller? No, is that the thing that like blows air conditioning in your sheets or whatever? No, it's this pad. Yeah, it's like that, but it's it's pad that um, you put on the base bottom right above your mattress, and it has um, little tubes that runs circulate water, and you fill the Uller, which has this big tube going to it, with water, and it circulates the water at whatever temperature you like. So mm. I go to bed with my bed at sixty degrees, and it's only on my side. And then you basically, I wake up to it at like one hundred and ten degrees. All because it's scheduled. Like yeah. you, you have it scheduled. That's that's yeah. cool. I'm gonna have to ask you. I I love in the winter. I'm fine. I just open the windows. It's freezing in the bedroom. But in the summer, I have a problem. So I'm, I'll I'll hit you up for that. Check it out. Should we just turn this into a consumer products review podcast? By the way, listen. Just I think time. I think as entrepreneurs, sometimes you gotta put some automation in your life, and and sleep is really important, right? So there we go. We tied yeah. it back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh, neat. You wanna sign us off? Yep. Um, Hey everyone, thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the 
podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See you.